Welcome to History and Film. Before we get started today, I just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. We've talked a lot about the royal family on this podcast, and in a lot of ways, the history of the royal family inspired this podcast in the first place. So it is definitely the end of an era, and we're both curious to see what's next and thinking about all those involved. But on with today's show. Okay, yeah, so today we're talking about 13 Lives, the movie that just came out, what, a couple weeks ago, beginning of August here? Right at the end of July, I In think. July on Amazon, was it on Amazon? I actually yeah. forget where I watched it. Amazon? It, it, yeah, it is, it is on Amazon. It's an Amazon original. Did you notice there was actually another movie about the same incident that came out a couple years earlier? I mean, I, I watched one documentary about it. I, I saw that there were a bunch of, I mean, there's a there's a ton of content related to it. Are you talking about like another like fictionalized version or like a documentary? Uh, there's another movie called The Cave from 2019, and I'm guessing their whole goal was just to be first because it is a zero slash 47 on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Oof. Yeah. So I'm guessing they're like, oh, quick, quick, we must make a movie about this. It's an actual Thai production. Though. Oh, is it? Okay. Okay. I thought it did mm-hmm. have. Wow, I feel bad, but apparently they didn't do a very good job. Anyway, this movie was very solid, and I do have... Well, okay, we'll talk about the movie first, and then we get into maybe the, the, the story here. But So, the movie is a 88-94 Rotten Tomatoes, directed by Ron Howard, stars Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, Joel Edgerton, and many others. Super high quality production. Uh, several times throughout, I was... I, and actually, I, I couldn't actually find... Like, how did they film this? Like, so it was filmed in Australia and in Thailand, but I don't even understand how they could have begun to film some of these scenes. Were they basically, make, were they making sets and flooding the sets? They built sets, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, could, I didn't actually find that. Okay. Yeah, the, the shots of them um, actually, like, diving, you know, those, like, those shots where it's, like, the real tight rocks and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's all... It's basically like styrofoam sets that they then had to cover in like, you know, epoxy or like waterproofing stuff and, you know, so that they could flood those sets and then they were filming basically inside of those, they're like, yeah, artificial caves. Huh. Even the the scenes where they are filming, you know, once they find the boys and there's that like big kind of open cavern. Right. That was actually the first set that they built. And I watched a, a video of Ron Howard talking about, like, that set and those scenes. And I guess they had, like, multiple places where, like, basically the set was doors that they could just, like, open up so they could do, like, crane work and stuff uh. with the cameras and then shut it and film from another angle. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so it was kind of cool, like, yeah, like, set design and uh, production design is really, really high quality. Because, I mean, those scenes look real. And they actually, like... They made the water like murky and stuff, right. like in real life. And all of the scenes where you see someone diving that looks like Vigo Mortensen, that's Vigo Mortensen. The guy that looks like Colin Farrell. In a controlled set, but still, right, right. True, true, true. But like they did all of their diving scenes. Oh, wow. They okay. didn't have like stunt doubles come in to, you know, and they could have because they're wearing masks and goggles. Like you could easily absolutely just yeah. say, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do that. But oh, crazy. So, you know, very, very impressive. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see it. I'm guessing it'll be Oscar eligible. 
And I, I can see in those technical, like art and set decoration might be like, or in special effects or whatever, could be definitely one where maybe it could contend. So I really enjoyed the movie. It was very suspenseful. Like, you're, you're kind of like on edge, even though you know this mostly has a, a happy ending. And obviously we're going to, this is all this is all based on a true story. We are going to spoil it. But again, hopefully you either followed it in the news or saw it. Although so much of this I actually wasn't aware of. Uh, I watched watching the whole movie thinking like, I know they all get out. Oh, shoot. I didn't know a Navy SEAL died. And so like, I was like, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Oh, no, he's not fine. I like, I just assumed everyone made it out alive. Yeah. I was only peripherally aware of the of the details of this. Same. I, I was pretty sure that all of the kids got out. And when we get on to, well, I guess it's not really a spoiler. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, it's a it, it's a true event that was like in the news. But four years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> the the way that I knew, I was like, I'm pretty sure all the kids get out. Like maybe maybe a couple of them don't because I knew that there was like someone died. I didn't. Okay. Know, I, I guess I never knew that it was a Thai Navy SEAL. Maybe I thought it was, you know, one of the kids right, or, the coach right. or something. But once they, once they came out with the whole plot element, which is actually true in real life of how they actually did it, where they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to, like, drug these kids and put them under sedation. I was like, oh, okay, there's no way that any of these kids died because then you can't, you don't make a movie about it afterwards. Like, <laughs> that's a good point. And, and they did kind of hang a lantern on that as, so it, it is definitely dramatized. I couldn't actually find a lot of details because it seems like a lot of the details are just in the books. Both both the guys, both uh, let me get their names here before I don't, don't mess them up. Both Rick Stanton and John Volanton. I don't know Volanton. I don't know Volanton. Volanton. Okay, both those guys actually did write books about this event, and one of the, I think John's book is actually called Thirteen Lives. Rick's is a little more oh, okay. broad, something about diving, aqua, not or something like that. I forget off the top of my head. Yeah, but. They did mention in an interview I saw that this is a dramatization. They didn't necessarily pick apart things, although we'll mention some. But yeah, I kind of got the vibe without doing a deep dive pun not intended into it that that decision to uh, anesthetize the kids was less. I mean, there was ri- there was inherent risk, but the way they played up in the film, like it was this like really really tough decision should we even try should we not there's no way it'll ever work i think that is that decision making process seems to have been dramatized like it was pretty much like yep that sounds like a good plan it's risky but what else we're gonna do as opposed to they sell it as like there's no way we can even try this it's unethical right well because everyone is kind of it i think in real life was kind of in the same boat as rick stanton where it's like uh if we don't do this they're gonna die anyway like right right this is kind of the only option we have either they're gonna die on this rescue mission or they're just gonna die and then we're gonna have to pull their bodies out afterwards like this is kind of the only thing we can do because there were other options that they considered before like they were considering like drilling and getting down to them from the top and i I thought about that i'm guessing the risk of a cave was probably just too high they don't really mention that in the movie though i don't think I don't think they do, and it's probably cut for time, but I, apparently it, was, it wasn't it was so much a risk for Caven, which I'm sure there was a consideration, but also just it would have taken too long. Like, they said that if they wanted to drill down to them, it would have taken a month. Oh, uh, okay. To do, to do it safely. Gotcha. You can do it safely, which is crazy when there's already openings, because the water's getting in through those openings, but yeah. Right. Even just, they were, they were considering, well, can we just drill a small hole just to, like, for ventilation, mm. to give them air, so it gives them more time, and even that was going to take too long. Okay, okay. So it was like, by the time we actually drill the hole, like, they will have either starved to death or, you know, succumb to hypoxia because the carbon dioxide levels are getting too high. 
So yeah, it, it was basically the the water rescue was kind of the only option from not very long into the operation. And then yeah, when when they decided to drug the kids to put them under, it was like yeah, that's like that's you know it, it's like two follows one. It's like the the only thing we're gonna be able to do to get them out because they can't swim. Like most of those kids couldn't couldn't even swim. And even if they even if they could, it was gonna be far too dangerous because of the rushing currents. You would just basically bash your skull up against uh, yeah thing or you drowned if you, yeah and just like we see in the movie like they they take the the thai guy oh right the worker that they're trying to dive out and that's only like you know what like a couple it was like a couple hundred meters or something and he was an adult and freaked out right which they obviously put in there i don't know if, i don't i don't know if that actually happened they actually put that they basically put that in there to show you how dire the need was to sedate the kids yeah true yeah 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 i yeah i don't know if that was necessarily true a true event but yeah you're right it does go to show that like when people get underwater they they do weird stuff because you're in your it's your instinct it's your in, your instinct is to exactly. go up i must go up i must survive i must go up and you start cr- going crazy to do that yeah right there's a i know like um for like rescue divers one of the things that you have to do as part of your training is like rescue someone who is actively fighting you mm. who is like actively trying and and they'll like pull on your on the hoses and on the mask and you know pull your breather out you pull your mask off and like because people when they get in life or death situations like that you know like your fight or flight kicks in and for some people it's just i'm just gonna fight i'm gonna fight you i'm gonna fight the water right and you know literally like they're not even thinking about no right they're They're not they're not they're not they're not stupid it's an instinct thing right right yeah and uh let's rewind a second here so the boys, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so the boys got trapped in a cave. So uh, if you have no idea what we're talking about, hopefully you've seen the movie or, or we're following the show. But this is not to be confused with the miners. Was that in Chile? The miners a few years before that were trapped. So this yeah. this was a, a youth soccer team in Thailand who, pretty much as we see in the film, they got out of soccer practice. There was a birthday party that night, and basically between soccer practice and the birthday party, they went to go explore a cave that they had explored a million times before. And it was just kind of it's a, it's a normal, almost like state park kind of thing. It's a it's a popular spot. Like if you go there, there's like you know signs and stuff out front, and there's like a parking lot. Like it's a place that people go like into this cave, you know, looking around. They just went really far in, and also it started raining really heavily. Right, and in the movie, they basically play it like okay. The monsoon season came six weeks earlier than usual, and so that's why right. they weren't dumb to yeah. be in there. And that seems to be close. Like it was an unexpected kind of early thing. I didn't, I didn't find the six week thing necessarily online. But this cave, as they say in the film, it does flood every year. There's signs posted when you shouldn't go in, so it's, it's either possible that they either I don't know if they there were signs up in this particular instance, but anyway, they weren't considered dumb for going in. But it is a dangerous cave at times. It's just they poor assessment, whether it was early monsoon season or just they didn't realize the rain was, was going to rain that day. But flooding is always a risk. They thought they were OK. They'd been in a bunch before. They'd actually been in far deeper before. I saw somewhere said they had gone even like eight kilometers deep before in these caves. And they were only trapped about two kilometers in, I think. Yeah. Prior to this incident, Rick Stanton and John Valanthan, I mean, they had dived together before for years and years, but they also both set world records together. Mm-hmm. So they set a world record in 2004 for uh, the greatest depth achieved in a British cave. And then they also set a record in 2010 for the longest cave penetration dive. 
and it was 8,800 meters. So almost, almost 9,000 meters, uh, into a cave system in Spain. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I just, I just kind of meant the boys had gone deeper into the cave before, but yes, the, the, oh, 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 I thought you meant the divers. Okay. Sorry. Right. I thought you meant the divers. No, but, but, uh, but that's that, uh, that works though too. So yeah, the, the, we can kind of transition to these guys. So yeah, basically the waters rise, the boys get trapped because of the water. And the, the third thing that it looked like, my understanding is the movie made it seem like other than like a couple pockets of air throughout the way, they made it sound like it was just water the whole way. There was definitely times when they were getting the boys out where they were dragging them across on dry, quote, dry land. And it was kind of more back and forth between, okay, we got to dive this segment. Okay, now we got to carry them across a dry part for a while. And then we go back into the water. And they kind of left that out of the movie completely. Yeah. They show kind of the first time there's like a long series of shots of them diving to kind of illustrate how far it is. And then they just kind of like, they're not going to do that every single time because the movie would have been like hours long, <laughs> but they do a good job. I like that they put the little schematic up of the cave yes. to show where everyone is. That that helps that helps huge with, you know, mentally where everyone's at. And then also they put on their like, oh, this is eight hours in. Like yeah, it shows like yeah. distance, like they're however many thousand meters. And then it says like, oh, yeah, but like when you see them surface and like they come up and see the boys, that was like eight and a half hours of diving. Right. Now, there's another dramatization thing, though, because in the interview, I saw these guys, some British TV show these guys were, were in after their books were coming out. And Rick said twice, just kind of casually mentioned, well, yeah, and it was it was two and a half hours, you know, to get them out. It was a two and a half hour swim to get them out. I'm like, wait a second. The movie makes it oh, okay. the, the movie makes it like twice that. And that's one way. So it's uh, so yeah. they definitely extended that. Rick himself said it was two and a half hours. Which, not that that's short, but I was making notes like, oh my gosh, like, they would have to bring, this is like an all-day trip for them, they got to bring food, and where are they using the restroom, all those kinds of things, they slept out of the movie, it's like, well, yeah, because yeah. they probably did have some of that, but at the same time, you don't necessarily need to bring food if you know you're going to be in and out in five hours or whatever, and if you think that two and a half hours out, mm-hmm. it's probably a lot slower, because you get in quick, and it was never quick because of the visibility and the the tight turns and stuff, but... Yeah, anyway, it could be a round trip of less than five hours where I was thinking they were going like 13-hour round trips to get these boys in and out. I'm like, this is crazy, which the movie almost kind of like didn't sell other than it kept saying these times. It almost didn't seem to fit with what we we're saying. And maybe that's why, because it didn't quite take as long each way as they made it seem. Which, I wonder why that choice was made. Like, why? I Yeah, I agree. Because two and a half hours, that's, that's impressive anyway. Like, two and a half hours as a dot, like that... Just spending two and a half hours in a wetsuit sounds miserable. <laughs> so why why do you have to right, say that right. it was eight and a half hours one way? And then it's like, okay, so like they just, they didn't do anything. Else. They just like, they wake up, get in the water, dive there, dive back, and then immediately have to like get out of the water and go to sleep for the next day. Like that doesn't, right? it, it doesn't, the math, the math doesn't math. <laughs> and also the real amount of time is already impressive. Why do you, I wonder why they felt the need to put that in there. Yeah. There was the third one I was thinking of too. I was saying there was a few areas they had ramped up the tension and I can't remember the third one. I mean, the rain was real. I mean, that was the thing. I actually, I didn't see, did you see anything about them actually diverting the rainwater from the top? I actually didn't find that. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, they did. The engineer like that we see in the movie is a real person. Oh, okay. I watched a documentary thing where they were interviewing him about the the water engineering that he was doing they were 
diverting a ton of water away from um i guess they even say that in the closing credits don't they how much water was diverted so that'd be a weird thing to make up yeah yeah yeah. i yeah i don't remember how much it is i know on the uh on the wikipedia page it said at it's the like peak, millions of gallons yeah at, at the peak it was four hundred twenty thousand gallons an hour <laughs> i guess i never even thought about like i get this is like monsoon season southeast asia but like apparently rain it's a lot more water than I ever think about. <laughs> because especially when we measure it <laughs> yeah. in inches, like, oh man, we got like six inches of rain in like a week. That's like flooding. I'm like, oh, six inches. I guess they don't think about that being millions of gallons. I'm like, that's just kind of unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're also, so something that I saw in the movie that I thought, oh, okay, that may, you know, this, this is probably like one of those things that they kind of like overhype or dramatize when they run out of pipes or whatever, and then they just start using bamboo and start lashing it together with vines. No, that was real. They really did. Oh, huh. There's footage of people like cutting bamboo to make pipes and then like cutting down vines from the jungle and like building those little stands out of the the bamboo sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And like making just to get like just a little more water, a little more water. So that was, that was real. And the fact that the, uh, that they ruined those uh, farmers' rice crops. Uh, for that yes. Year. Okay. Okay. That was all real too. Yep. And again, that makes sense. If you're gonna in a, in a movie that's very closely based on a true story, anything you're going to include in the post or pre movie text on screen, it's kind of crappy if you're making that stuff up. The audience kind of trusts that even though this is a movie, it's a fictionalization, a dramatization. Yeah. We kind of trust that you're not lying on those things or tweaking those and things. It, it's. It, uh, some movies do though some movies do I, I was gonna say not in this movie at least that i know of but like there are movies where that happens <laughs> yes there are and i think we've even talked about some i just can't remember them off the top of my head yeah they were talking about the when they were diverting all the water away and it was you know it was millions of gallons of water but there's still millions of gallons of water going into the cave system too right so they were talking about it was basically like uh you know trying to siphon water out of a bathtub while you have the faucet running like yeah. The bathtub is still going to fill up. Right. You're you're helping, but... Yeah, you have a couple straws coming out. Like, it's not going to fill up as fast, but, like, the water is still going to fill up. Right. And also, that's one thing, too, I saw was... I didn't say how big the little... I called it a shelf where the boys were... Because it's not really an island, but, like, this area that the boys were up on to stay out of the water that mm-hmm. uh, they actually even had, like... They were moving rocks around. Like, they were actually, like trying to make that area bigger and more secure by moving rocks to help build it up, which they kind of didn't really focus on that. Because honestly, the movie doesn't really focus on them. It kind of does focus on the British guys that come in yeah. as the experts, as they're they're kind of the main characters. But also, the movie almost doesn't really have a main character in a way that I actually kind of don't like, but I'll talk about that here later. So the, basically, what they show in the film, and this seems to be accurate, there's a British guy who was living in this part of Thailand. And so when this happens, he immediately says, oh, hey, I know these guys that are experts in this. And the Thai Navy SEALs, you can see in the film, it kind of makes sense. Again, I didn't see this in real life, but, it, you know, they're a little bit like, well, I mean, I think we got this. We, we don't need some civilians wherever they're from to come in. But they kind of then make up the very interesting point that like, no, this is very, very, very specific. You guys train in open yeah. water and there's only a few of us in the world that are just basically we nerd out on diving in flooded caves like that's our thing right and there's a handful of us and we've done it we they'd already done rescue missions or recovery missions um this is actually one of their most successful one some were they've saved people before others were just straight up body retrieval 
where hey someone got stuck right. and drowned can you go get their body and these and, and rick and john were the kind of guys that would go and do that and we see that in the film where they're expecting and rick is so kind of detached but it makes sense if you think that he flew all the way from great britain to thailand and in his mind his job is to go retrieve the bodies of these 13 people like that's what he's gonna be doing yeah. that's what he signed up for is to go yeah. get their bodies for their families in that video that I was talking about where they were uh, talking to Ron Howard, he said that in that scene when they first find them where John Valanthan, Colin Farrell's character is like super excited that they're all alive and Viggo Mortensen almost seems not disappointed, but he's a lot more kind of reserved. Yeah. That that is true to life of the way that they both felt Apparently, John Valanthan, when they found him, was like immediately optimistic, like, oh, okay, they're alive, we can rescue him. And Vigo Mortensen was like, oh, shit. We're going to have to watch them die now. Yeah. We're going to, ha- yeah, we're going to have to watch them die either in a res- in a Bosch rescue or watch them die slowly. And, uh, yeah, it's, they, he said it was like, like seeing ghosts. Right. Or also like getting punched in the stomach. Right. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. There's just nothing you can do. It's like, oh, crap. They're not dead yet. Like, right. not disappointed, yeah. but, like, heartbroken. Yeah. Because he saw, yeah, and that'd be all right. So that was... Uh, and that was that was something else that was kind of interesting in the movie, was then after they find them, he's like, well, now everyone knows that they're alive, and now if we don't rescue them, this whole thing is going to be considered a failure. Like, we, we found them, we didn't even know if we were going to find them. Right. At all. Right. And now that we did, and that's, now that's considered, you know, that's... Now that's like the it's like the new start of your mission, whereas before that would have been like the end. Like, oh, you find all the dead bodies, you bring them out, and it's like, oh man, that's a bummer. But now it's like, oh, we found them; they're alive. And now if they die, now you suck at your job. Now you failed, right? Right. You, you basically you, right. you became a lose lose situation in their minds anyway. And then so that's why they actually didn't want everyone to know they were alive. They basically right. He, yeah. he was going to show the rescue workers, I think, the film, and then immediately just everyone knows. And they're like, ugh, now, exactly. now it's like, yeah, so, yeah, definitely a crazy situation. Uh, the one other thing I was going to say, too, about uh, Rick and John, they'd also both have, I mean, they didn't detail it in the film, and I couldn't find specifics either, but of course the specifics would probably be well beyond my ability to understand. But they've both specially made their own equipment for, like, cave diving and stuff, too. So, like, there's specially things yeah. they've, they've developed over the years to make their own kind of gear for these situations. Yeah, I guess uh, Rick Stanton has, like, invented like certain cave diving specific gear. Yeah. Including a way to hold your rebreather like at your at your side, like kind of on your hips mm. rather than on on your back. Okay. Like you would think of like a normal typical scuba diver. Right. Just because it makes you it makes you flatter so you can go oh you know, between right, right. tighter tighter gaps. So yeah, and that and that's the kind of stuff that they're talking about when they talk about like when they're talking to the Thai Navy SEALs like this is a completely different type of diving like it's a completely different skill set to just you know to diving from you know the open water up onto a beach yeah so here's where i'm going to step in real quick and say while this is a very high quality production and i don't necessarily have a lot of nitpicks about this film i actually don't think it's a very good movie just from the sense of storytelling I mean, this is an amazing true story that absolutely needs to be told, and they told it very well, 
but they didn't necessarily make a good narrative film out of it, if that makes sense. This feels more just like a technical dramatization, almost like a documentary reenactment, as opposed to we actually don't get to know anybody. Like, there's no, even though you tear up at times, there's still not enough heart into it, and I wish they'd actually maybe narrowed in their scope. You could have gone more into the background of how John and Rick actually got these skills, flashbacks to past things they've done that didn't work, and then how this does, and got more into the characterization of this and their backstories, as opposed to everyone is fairly two-dimensional in my mind. And again, I'm not saying I dislike the film, but I'm just saying I don't consider it a great movie because of those limitations. I guess the only counterpoint to that that I would have is that I don't think that 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 was the point. Like, I don't think that was their goal. And I, I guess, are, are you saying that you wish it was their goal? I think, yeah, that's probably a good way to say it. I, yeah, that's probably fair. Okay, because I, I think what they were, what they were going for was almost a documentary feel. Right. There, there's no, because there's no score. Right. There's like a ton of, like most of the shots are like handheld shots. It is shot very much like in a documentary style. And I think it was mostly just to like give the facts of the rescue with like a little extra emotion added in more than it was to actually like tell a dramatic story. Because like you said, there there is no main character in this right, right. movie. Like, I mean, I guess you could say that Rick and John are the main characters, but also not really. Like, I mean, they they're the ones with the most screen time, right. but they don't have like all the screen time because we spend a ton of time with like the Thai governor. We spend right. a ton of time with the parents, but it's it's almost so evenly split up that it's like they're all kind of on the same level of importance, which I think yeah. was that was the idea. But then it makes it to where you're right. We don't really get to there's there's not a lot of depth to any of the characters. It'd be next to impossible to pull off what I'm picturing i guess honestly so the way to do what i would want is you almost make it a 10 hour miniseries and like each hour almost like you do like the last dance with jordan or something where each each episode focuses on a different character and how they got there that that'd be the way to do it justice you could also do like a like a miniseries version of this told in kind of like a rashomon style Mm. where you tell like the story of the rescue and you know because as we've seen with like game of thrones and stranger things like you could make a tv show that has a two-hour episode in it now (laughs) so you could just do like a movie basically from the point of view of the parents and then do the same story from the point of view of the thai navy seals and then the same story from the point of view of the divers and that'd be that'd really be like the only way that you could do that yeah yeah i kind of like that idea too yeah it would take a, a lot of it'd be a lot longer yeah, but but I think it I think it's worthy of of that. I, I I think that would have been something really special. And this was well done, yeah. but I don't know if it qualifies as something really special. And again, I'm separating the film from the actual event. I'm not trying to say this wasn't a huge event, right? But yeah, yeah, just from a filmmaking standpoint. Uh, oh, there's one other little note here too. So in the film, they're kind of debating who needs to go first. They're trying to you know assess the health needs of everyone and try to prioritize and they try to get the little kid out first but they don't have a mask that fits him they're kind of kind of a little bit of debate on which order to send the boys out in so did you see the true story of how they decided to send them out so i saw that there was like a couple of different considerations that they made 
one was like they were going to get the youngest out first or, you know, the, but it, ultimately wasn't it they let the boys decide? Yeah. So basically they kind of just said, we're all healthy. Like there is no sickest and healthiest here. Like we're all fine. I mean, they're hungry, but like they were, right. they were all in good health and yeah. they didn't realize there's like an entire media circus in the whole world, world watching outside. So they basically right. just said like, oh, well, so-and-so lives farther away. So let's let him go first because he has more distance to ride home on his bike when we get out. Oh, <laughs> they they straight up went by order of who lived farthest away because they just in their minds, they were going to get out of the cave and then bicycle home. That's funny. <laughs> it just having no idea what was happening outside outside of the cave. That's yeah. so funny to think of. Yeah, because you don't. Yeah. And, and that probably wasn't even like because I, I mean, I, I could see how that sounds almost unbelievable. Like, how did they not know? But when everyone like the only contact they have with the outside world is these divers and like the you know right. the cave divers and like the Thai Navy SEALs. And the only thing that they're worried about when they come into the cave is like giving them medical attention, giving them food, giving them water, making sure that their, you know, injuries aren't getting infected. So it's like, they're not like, oh, hey, uh, so you were on CNN last night. <laughs> right. Isn't that crazy? Like we showed your video to the whole world. It's, you know, that's like so far from their minds. that right. yeah, it, it, It's totally believable when you think about it that they just wouldn't have any clue how big of a deal it is that they're getting rescued and i i did think it was appropriate to not bring up elon musk at all in the film because obviously when this was going on oh, he, yeah. he he felt the need to chime in and basically he did send some like spacex engineers to kind of just help out and help with the brainstorming ideas his ideas a couple ideas that the musk crew had don't sound too crazy on the surface but he obviously didn't have enough information so they weren't actually realistic but the idea the, a couple ideas were one was again basically develop some kind of mini submarine almost probably like right coffin sized unfortunately exactly yeah yeah like literally just a metal tube that's big enough to fit one person not even an adult like one Thai boy right, inside of it right right um, but again the the, the turns yeah. they, they just wouldn't be able to get them through the turns you, c- you couldn't have a rigid body like that Right. The other idea I hadn't heard before, though, I thought was kind of interesting, but again, just not practical. Basically, almost like the, you would, uh, the material you'd make like a, a bouncy house for like a kid's birthday party out of, basically making a, a tube okay. and you just run this, this almost like an inner tube that you would then like inflate and then the center would be dry. So you basically send in a cylinder that you could put all the way through, inflate it, and then there, you could squeeze through the center of a, a donut kind of thing. And again... Just not practical with huh. all the turns and stuff, but the concept I thought was at least interesting. Right, and the fact that they're like thousands of meters into this. No, cave, right. Like, yeah. So not practical, but as a concept, it it, it wasn't necessarily horrible. Yeah. But then, so then, it, what? Just again, I didn't play that close enough attention to this all. But then there was like you heard Musk like calling one of the rescuers like a pedophile or something. You're like, what is going on? Yeah, it was like on Twitter, like some. Yeah. There was a guy, one of the rescue divers. It, it wasn't any of the guys I think that we see in the movie. It was. Oh wait, wait it was the uh, it was the original guy. It was the old guy from the beginning. That's who's that's the, okay. The guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The original, yeah, the original guy. Like he had like Twitter beef with Elon Musk, and I think this was while the rescue was happening. Yeah, yeah. And he said something about like they they weren't going to use the submarine, or said something about the submarine, and Elon Musk said like called him. Yes, made a tweet referring to him as a pedo. Yeah, for for like no reason. Yeah, ba- basically the the British guy living in Thailand basically told him to you know shove it, like shove his submarines up his ass kind of thing. 
Yeah. And then Elon responded with, all right, whatever, pedo guy. And then like the guy actually ended up taking Elon Musk to court for defamation over uh, the pedo comments. And oh my gosh, it actually kind of got ruled in Musk's favor. Musk didn't owe him any money. They basically just decided that you guys were just trading insults on Twitter back and forth. No one cares. Like, so ultimately, Musk didn't have to pay out for defamation. But anyway, just a, a mess. That story right there is the most 21st century <laughs> thing 21st, ever. It's like the most last five years thing ever. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. The, for the sure. fact that during this harrowing rescue where against all odds and miraculously these divers are able to rescue these, you know, 12 kids and their soccer coach. And also Elon Musk started Twitter beef during the middle of it and called some guy a pedophile. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's very, very on brand for uh, the last five, 10 years. Very right. on brand for Earth. <laughs> yeah. And then fun little Easter egg for us. The guy who played that older British guy living in Thailand was the same actor who played George Whitten in Breaker Morant. Oh, no way! Yeah, I thought that was uh, kind of crazy and small world from our little world of movies that we discuss. Because, I mean, shoot, that was, you know, 40 years ago, so he's quite a bit older now. Yeah. So I just opened up his Wikipedia page. It looks like Breaker Morant was his first role. Oh, gotcha. Well, he was, like, I think, early to mid-20s at that time, and that was 1980, so, like, yeah. he's not even that old. Like, he's probably not 70 yet. Huh. So they mentioned in the in the film that the coach had them meditate to kind of help them relax and not panic. And that that sounds accurate. Oh, yeah. The coach had actually had a background in uh, I, like he maybe even used to be like a Buddhist priest or something. I, I don't know. I, don't, I apologize if I have the terms wrong, but I think he did have a some religious training uh, with the meditation and stuff. When, and we'll get into the uh, the religious aspects here, too. Ron Howard said that that the actor actually like learned meditation techniques and then when they were on set for like you know 15 or 20 minutes before they would shoot those scenes they would shut all the lights off in the set and he would meditate with the actors that were playing the boys oh wow because for a lot of them this was their first ever role. right they had never been on a movie set before right. maybe non-professional actors yeah yeah right yeah so that you know he was like using those same techniques to keep the actors calm that's cool when they were like, okay, we're going to fill this set up with water and shut the lights off. And, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're little kids. Right. Also, uh, apparently, when they showed this shot in the movie where the kid like lifts his shirt up and he says, I'm hungry, and he's like super emaciated, I was like, man, is that kid just that skinny? Probably. Like, how, how is that? No, they, it's all digital. Oh. Which okay. I, it just, so like, you know, good on them. The effects were really good. It looked completely real to me. I was like, man. And especially because they were doing so much other stuff practically, I was like, "They're okay, surely they aren't, like, having these kids restrict their food. Well, intake. no, I guess I just assumed they found really skinny kids. But you're right, they actually look different than before they went in, so that makes sense. And they, they are skinny, but they, yeah, they're yeah. not that skinny. Okay, fair, fair. Because <laughs> that's, like, unhealthy that's skinny. That's true, that's true. Oh, one little tidbit that I had about the two divers that died. Yes. I thought that they were both, like, active... Thai Navy SEALs. They, yeah, the one that drowned was retired, yeah. They both were. Oh, okay. Both of those guys, are. they were ex-Navy SEALs, and basically they had, like, come out of retirement. To help this. To help with the rescue, because they had diving experience, so they showed up and, and were helping. Also, the guy that drowned in the cave, Yeah, he wasn't alone, like we see in in the movie oh right and and i don't i didn't see anything about that thing getting caught either it, it wasn't necessarily that's not necessarily how it went down right yeah he he had a partner who was with him and like 
kind of, you know, no one really knows what happened. It's just kind of like all of a sudden not getting air, stopped breathing. Right. And then the partner's like, oh, okay, we got to get you back. And they, uh, you know, he basically died on on they the rude. way back. It wasn't like a, uh, you know, catastrophic failure where this guy's by himself like we see in the movie. Right. But and it, but, it, but it was in the, in the process of transferring kind of setups. Like they were setting tanks and stuff along the way. Like it was just kind of part of that. He was, yeah, he, was, yeah, he wasn't directly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, circumstances around the mission were real, but the the fact that he was alone, that wasn't true. I also wanted to bring up the really huge international response mm. to the incident. If you go on the Wikipedia page, there's a list of like all of the countries that sent either people or equipment, you know, rescue specialists, pumps, divers. So Australia, obviously, you know, Richard Harris is from Australia. Uh, that's Joel Edgerton's character. He actually won Australian of the Year in 2019. I saw that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of his involvement in this rescue. And then, uh, you know, John Valanth and Richard Harris, a bunch of other Brits were involved. But also, oh, and then we see the, you know, the, the U.S. military sent a bunch of people there. But also Belgium, Canada, China, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, France, Ireland, India, Israel, Japan, Laos, Netherlands. This one was interesting. Both Russia and Ukraine. All those countries either sent people or equipment or, you know, support. Right. So this, it really was like, for the whole world, like an all hands on deck situation to rescue these these 12 kids and their soccer coach. Yeah, and, I, and honestly, to a point where I felt really, oh, kind of ashamed, honestly, when I was kind of watching this film and realized how detached I was from it. And obviously, there's, it's kind of like we talk about with like Queen Elizabeth. It's like, well, you can't get emotionally invested in everything that happens all over the world like that's probably not healthy either but just how i basically had no idea what was going on i was peripherally aware that a rescue effort was underway and that was about the extent of right. my interest at the time and it's i mean it was like a, it was almost like it's an idle curiosity and when you see it then up close to the lens of a movie you kind of feel ashamed that you weren't more invested especially when it is this worldwide thing not that i didn't care but like I just wasn't paying attention. And again, I kind of yeah. felt bad yeah. when I was watching the movie. Yeah, even the point where when I first started watching the movie, I was like, did, did all these kids make it out? Right. Like, I honestly don't remember. Right. Like, did any of these divers not make it out? Right. I honestly have no idea. And I had no idea how the, the solution, when they're trying to figure out the solution, I was like, man, what did they figure out? Like, I know they figured out something because right. they get out, but I have no idea. I had no idea what they how they got them out. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, I, because I... I did not hear about this movie at all. Like, it flew completely under my radar until literally my wife and I were like, turn on the TV, you know, just to see, like, let's pick a movie to watch. And, you know, we have the Fire TV. So it's like, oh, Amazon, this new movie, 13 Lives, just came out. I was like, oh, that looks like Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell. I wonder what, what that is. I haven't haven't heard of it. It was, like, directed by Ron Howard. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is good. I was like, what what is it about? It was like, oh, the, you know, the rescue of the Thai soccer team. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But that was like just a couple years ago. Wasn't there something with Elon Musk in that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's check that out. That'll be interesting. And uh, yeah, I just had, I had no, no idea Ab about the movie, but also about the actual right. uh, incident. Well, and then same. I hadn't heard about the movie until you recommended it to me. Okay. After you watched it. I was going to say, had you heard anything about this movie? No. Yeah, I, I started getting ads for it. After I watched it, I would get like Instagram ads and stuff. Of course, for it. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this. But I hadn't, I hadn't heard anything about it until I saw it, you know, 
front page recommended to me by Amazon. My one other little note before I, I do want to kind of talk about the history of Thailand briefly here. My one little note was, and they kind of do address this in the movie, but I feel like the movie undersold how vast, and to me, the movie made it feel like it's this one path and it's just how far you go on this one path. It's a network of interconnected mm-hmm. caves and a million different paths you could take. And they do kind of talk to the one boy who planned on going with them but couldn't make it or whatever. He had to go set up for the whatever whatever reason he wasn't with them. One of the guys from practice, he's like, oh, here's where they usually go. That was like vital. Otherwise, they're just looking everywhere and they won't even know which path yeah. they took. So um, yeah. I think the movie kind of undersold that. And that's if you're going to shoot, if you're going to hide enough tension, you can almost kind of hide that up too. Where it's like, how are we ever possibly going to know which direction they went? Yeah. And they use that to ratchet up the tension at the end of the movie during the rescue because there's that one diver who's carrying a kid. Oh, yeah. And the current pulls him away from the line. He lets go of it and it like snaps away from him. And he can't find it, and then he, like, pops up, and he's like, I have no idea where I am. Right. And he's kind of freaking out until the next diver shows up and says, oh, you're here, you just need to go this way. And he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, I thought I was about to die. <laughs> right. Which and, it, and I was confused by his fear because I thought the movie undersold how confusing of a network it was. Yeah. I was like, where else are you going to go? In my mind. Right. I, I was like, I, I get that you need the rope because the visibility is bad, but like, I, well, I don't know what else you're going to, like, I didn't see how why he had a bunch of other options. So I was kind of confused. Yeah. That's so the movie could have probably sold that better. The other thing too, obviously the current is really bad and the visibility is bad, but like in the, that I mentioned that interview, they were talking about zero visibility. And I think the movie undersold oh, right. just how opaque the water actually was. Of course, it's also dark. Yeah. Even with the lights though, the, the water was so dirty it was zero visibility, right. and I don't think the movie really illustrated that well. It's almost not necessarily even water as much as it was, like, really, really thin mud. Mm. Like, you yeah, literally yeah. can't see. Right. And you're going by feel then and have to navigate. Yeah, that's crazy. I think the movie could have done better with that. Yeah. I saw a uh, a video that was talking about, like, a different cave incident that happened. I should have written it down. I apologize. Maybe I'll, you know correct this on a later bonus episode or something but is is like put it on instagram in the united states there was a guy who was doing some cave exploring in a really tight cave like this not underwater just regular cave and it was kind of where, what you said where it's like you know this really vast network of these really narrow tunnels and stuff he got kind of turned around made a wrong turn thought he was in this one part of the cave where it's like this really tight spot but if you just keep going a little bit further, you get to this opening where he could have turned around and then came out the way he came. So he's just like, oh, I just need to get a little bit further, a little bit further. Turns out he had made a wrong turn. He was in a completely unmapped section of the cave, got stuck upside down between two rocks. And there was this like hours long rescue attempt to get him out. And it was unsuccessful. He died in this cave and they couldn't even get his body out. They literally just poured a bunch of concrete in the cave, sealed it. And that's his tomb. And now there's a memorial for him there. Oh my gosh. And like, that's insane. Watching the video is like, it's horrifying because you get claustrophobic. Yeah. You just see his feet sticking up out of this tiny little tunnel in the rock. And it's like, yeah. They, it, there's nothing they can do, nothing anyone can do. 
makes me think of this isn't quite the same thing but i saw like a video of it's like just people hanging out at a pool party and all of a sudden like a sinkhole opens and like the pool just disappears into the ground and like a guy that was like on a floaty in the middle of the pool is just disappears like in a second and you're like uh oh yeah and then you're reading the comments they're like yeah he he died like it's just crazy craziness we take we take the ground for granted that uh yeah it's gonna be there (laughs) yeah all those stories in the bible where the earth opens up and swallows people whole yeah that can happen in real life (laughs) yeah yeah good night everybody (laughs) (laughs) It could happen to you right now. (laughs) Okay, so I I just looked it up. Uh, The guy's name was John Jones, and it was the name of the cave is Nutty Putty Cave, and it's in Utah. Oh, really? So, yeah, if you want to learn more about that, you can go read more about that. But it's terrifying. Terrifying to think about. Yeah, I'm not super claustrophobic, but I'm probably a little claustrophobic. And caves, just in general, put me a little on edge. And I always kind of have the thought in the back of my mind, anytime there's like a scary, either natural wonder or man-made thing that's a little scary, but like there's a lot of people enjoying it, I'm always like, well, I mean, if anything does happen, it's going to make national news. It's like, and in my mind, that's like a solace, like it must be safe, because what are the odds I'm going to make national news? But then like, you see stuff like this, you know, these cavens, it's like, well, no, it's, it can happen. It can't happen. You yep. could make national and news. And it does make national news. Ugh. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> But yeah, I wonder how, how many people think about that ahead of time before you get in these situations. Okay, so I'll kind of end with here with uh, just kind of a rundown of the history of Thailand. Usually I like to do that first as kind of an introduction to the, the world of the movie. But here, this is such kind of a, oh, this incident doesn't have anything to do with any political or historical context necessarily other than these caves exist in Thailand. Right. And so there yeah. wasn't really anything relevant about the history of Thailand specifically in northern thailand which apparently is culturally and like linguistically different from what you think about like in bangkok or something Mm. and i actually saw a comment on a youtube video someone from thailand was like this movie does such a great job of you know having all the actors like speak in this northern dialect oh okay you know having like all of this all the thai cultural stuff that they show in the movie because there is actually a lot is all apparently very accurate and very faithful to how people actually live and cook and act and their religious practices and stuff in this northern part of Thailand. And I feel bad because I actually forgot to look up. So uh, Thailand has a lot of history with both Buddhist and Hindu religion coming in from India. But these people were probably Buddhist, if I had to guess. I think they're Buddhist. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so we see a lot of those those practices. So I want to talk about the history here because we hadn't really talked about Thailand much on our whole history timeline. This is gonna, this is actually gonna be the most uh, farthest along the world history we've we've gotten on our timeline here. Did we have we mentioned Thailand at, at all? Has Thailand been in any of the previous episodes? <sighs> it may have come up it, because it's right next to Cambodia and Vietnam that we've talked about. But okay, but yeah, I'm trying to think too. And which where was uh, Year of Living Dangerously set? Was that Indonesia? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't Thailand. Right, right. Okay. I don't because I don't think we've done any movies that are actually set in Thailand. Right. So I kind of somehow lost track that Thailand is what was known in Europe for centuries as Siam. So like the king and I, the king of Siam, that's all Thailand. Hmm. So it's, yes, this is where like Siamese cats are from. So it was 
it's basically just a, an anglicization, westernization. So like the Thai people, that's Siam's never thing they used. Kind of like the whole Peking for Beijing. There was just one of these European names that was given was Siam. Right. But it, that is the exact same country. Like Burma and uh, Myanmar. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is a neighbor of, of Thailand here. So and also Thailand for this part of the uh, this part of the world, Thailand has kind of a unique distinction. It was never under like it was never colonized. It was never under direct European control. So like Europe oh, really? took over all the stuff around them, and outside of maybe some you know World War One, World War Two military occupation stuff, outside of that, there's never been a Western country in control of Thailand. Huh. It's either been other Asian countries like. Vietnam, Burma, other Asian countries might have had influence, but it was never actually under the control of a European power, which is kind of unique for this part of the world. Now, the simple version is basically that Britain controlled Burma slash Myanmar and French Indochina was where what is now Vietnam. And they kind of both just said, not even necessarily like out loud, but like, eh, maybe it's a good idea to leave this buffer zone so we aren't fighting over here. And Thailand slash Siam was that buffer zone between British controlled and French controlled in the area. And then the Dutch East Indies is what is now Indonesia to the south. So it was kind of surrounded, but everyone kind of just left it alone as like neutral territory as far as the Europeans were were concerned. Huh. Okay. Yeah, basically, you just have great farmland here. We saw you see how much, you know, rain they get. So great farmland. So that leads to a high population. Copper and bronze mines were also very important from, a, you know, going back thousands of years. Copper and bronze was mined here in Thailand. The first inhabitants probably migrated from southern China. But basically, there's been people in Thailand for as long as there's been people about anywhere. There's been farming in Thailand for about as long as there's been farming anywhere on the planet. So it's just a very, very old place with a lot of history of humans and early humans. There's, I think they even found like Homo erectus remains from half a million years ago in Thailand. Like it's people have been in Thailand for a very, very long time. Lots of different tribes. The Khmer, we saw, we did talk about Khmer Rouge in Cambodia and all that kind of stuff. So earlier forms of the Khmer, obviously not the Rouge because I was communist, but like there was Khmer tribes or kingdoms, you know, a thousand years ago, 800 years ago, whatever. Uh, The Khmer did kind of rule over Thailand for a while. And then finally, the Thai did kind of separate themselves and the Thai people started to have the control over their own country, first with the Suko Thai kingdom in the 13th century. Uh, and then after that kind of splintered and fractured, it was uh, replaced by the Ayutthaya kingdom. Uh, or I, I heard it on YouTube and now I can't remember. Anyway, so another kingdom <laughs> and, there was, and it was kind of a major city. Anyways, there was a city of the same name that was like super, super uh, successful. And it had this thriving city, not Bangkok. It was a different city uh, that was like mm-hmm. the center of this kingdom that was that kind of held sway for a long time. Um, you also had a lot of Indian influence. That's where the Buddhist and Hindu religions kind of came into play. So yeah, the, the Ayutthaya kingdom was like the one in charge when Europe started exploring and discovering the Southeast Asia area. So they never took over, but they were definitely trading with the Ayutthaya kingdom and it kind of thrived. It was you know, kind of just very successful economically. They did kind of then start to have concerns about too much European influence and they maybe they're losing some of their cultural identity. So they kind of shut themselves off from the West a little bit. 
but you know, we get into the 18th century and art and literature are kind of thriving, just a really rich culture. Then you get Burma, again, now Myanmar, Myanmar kind of takes over the area for a while and they're under Burmese control and sign again i'm kind of using the names just because these were the names of the video these are the names that are called them so basically it's, it's right. burma now myanmar takes over uh siam now Thai, thailand kind of uh bounces back and the current ruling family like the family that's still the king of thailand today even though they're a constitutional monarchy but the ruling king their family took over in the 1700s and then specifically you think about the musical the king and i that is set in the 1860s, and it would have been the king from that same family that took over in the 1700s and is still on the throne today. And actually, I'm not sure why we've never really talked about doing The King and I, because that is based on the memoirs of an actual British governess who went to Siam slash Thailand in the 1800s. So another possibility for a movie we could talk about at some point. Yeah. And it's Yul Brenner. And it's Yul Brenner who we are big fans of. Yeah, playing yeah. ethnically ambiguous guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then, and it was, uh, it was this family, this ruling family that moved the capital city to what is now Bangkok. Because actually, that other city I mentioned was kind of destroyed by the Burmese when they invaded. They they just completely destroyed that previous uh, uh, city that was like the main city. And then trade with Europe increases again. And then the 20th century kind of actually becomes a little bit of a mess of instability in Thailand. So there's tons of coups. (laughs) And it's honestly, you could do a whole podcast, like not a podcast episode, like a whole multi-episode, multi-year podcast just about the politics in 20th century Thailand. So we're not going to do that. But weren't there just a bunch of like... uh like riots or like demonstrations and stuff like in the last couple of years right and yeah it's still, it's still so it's still kind of ongoing so yes that so it kind of starts you, the, uh, there was a, a coup that kind of forces the absolute monarchy to become a constitutional monarchy then during world war ii they end up on japan's side it doesn't sound like this they're, they're huge fans of japan but it's almost just like yeah fine we got to pick a side we'll pick japan and so they were with the japanese during world war ii which then kind of got them occupied by the Allies after the war. And the U.S. and Thailand never actually declared war on each other, versus like I think Britain and Thailand did. So the U.S. was kind of in a better situation to be buddy-buddy with Thailand after the fact. But then like, and then so like they were one of our allies through the Cold War. Thailand was even kind of an operating base for U.S. forces during the Vietnam War because they were allies with us. And then actually the Thai Navy SEALs, who we see in the film, mm-hmm. uh, that goes back to the 1950s. The Thai Navy SEALs were, were organized and created in the 1950s. And they actually trained and work extensively with the U.S. Navy SEALs because they are kind of mm-hmm. one of our major allies in the region. But so even though this was set up as a constitutional monarchy, there's lots of coups and like the military kind of basically would take over for a stretch at a time and then like democracy would win out and like the prime minister would actually have the control again so the monarchy is still kind of in the background it's kind of toggling back and forth between constitutional monarchy with a prime minister or the military is in charge from like a military coup stuff or it's like everything's still there like the prime minister doesn't go away but the military is calling the shots and then the military doesn't go away but the prime minister is calling the shots and like that's kind of toggled back and forth from like the 40s to the present where it's technically a democracy but maybe the votes don't count because the military is just going to call the shots anyway and just as of like 2019 
It's a little bit more back in the prime minister's hands, but it's a country that has a lot of corruption still and things are maybe just like a little shady with, you know, the people calling the shots behind the scenes and the elections are maybe sometimes getting called out for election fraud. And it's it's fine. It, it is technically a stable democracy, but there's just a lot of corruption and a lot of shadiness maybe behind the scenes. Um, but it is a very popular tourist destination. And kind of has a mix of, you know, very, very modern westernized stuff with cities like Bangkok, but also very traditional rural markets and stuff throughout the country. So it's it's definitely this mix of modern urban and ancient rural and cultural traditions. And basically, that's Thailand, (laughs) as best as I could uh, approximate here in a few minutes. Yeah. And one thing I forgot to look up was like, they do have that little shrine, the sleeping lady uh, outside of the cave. And I, I meant to look into the history of that, and I kind of just forgot as far as like who this figure is in Buddhism and what the story was with that. Because they were kind of obviously, like you said, a lot of that cultural stuff, they were in religious stuff, they were trying to pray and have these little things blessed by, little bracelets blessed by the monk there or whatever. And again, I didn't really look into all the religious details there, but like you said, it sounds like they got it pretty accurate. So it looks like the origin of that, you know, the sleeping princess. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet thing almost. It's like a Thai oh, version huh. of that story. It's like a, a legend that a princess fell in love with her stable boy. Very uh, princess bride. Princess bride, yeah. Their love was forbidden and they like fled and went into the cave. The boy went out to look for food and was caught by the, the king, the princess's father, and was killed. And she, in her, you know, Grief. depression and sadness, kills herself, and the blood is now the water that's in the cave. Oh, wow. So she's not sleeping. She's dead? So, and it's all because the uh, mountain range, which there is a shot in the movie that shows it, but the mountain range, when looked at from a certain angle, looks like a woman lying down on her back. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Oh, did this, this did look like a beautiful country, by the way, too. Like, I, I mean, the rain would kind of be miserable if you're there during monsoon season. It just doesn't stop. But, like, it's a beautiful country. Yeah. The name of the mountain range, is, this is probably not a correct pronunciation, but Doi Nang Non okay. is the name of the mountain range, uh, Mountain of the Sleeping Lady. Nice. Okay, now say the name of the cave. <laughs> uh, Tom Luang, which is actually, so that means Great Cave. I don't know if we said that already, but uh, Tom Luang okay, no. means Great Cave. It's that's just the name of the the cave that they got. So I guess it has like a few different names that people will refer to it as, but that's like the most common one. Okay. Well, I think we kind of covered everything, right? From the rescue to the history of Thailand to the movie itself. I think so. Oh, I I did have a uh, one one little uh, factoid here for you. John Valanthan, Colin Farrell's character, is an ultra marathon runner, like as a hobby. Oh yeah. Okay. And. In order to kind of get in that his headspace or, you know, to help him connect with the character, Colin Farrell actually trained for a marathon and ran a marathon while they were shooting this movie. Okay, he said something about that during the during the uh, interview I saw. He mentioned Colin having ran a marathon and I kind of lost track of what he was talking about. Okay, yeah. In the video with Ron Howard, he was talking about how he wasn't really stoked on the idea because like. 
they were shooting, they were in the middle of shooting all these like really physically intensive, like underwater scenes and stuff where they're having, you know, actually do that. They were doing all their diving work. Right. And Colin Farrell told Ron Howard, like, hey, I'm running this marathon this weekend. (laughs) And he was like, okay, but like, I'm not going to tell you you can't, but just know that still got to come in on Monday and like you you got to do all the work. And he's, he said he's, he showed back up on Monday and he was hurting, but I didn't take it easy on him because he said that's what he wanted to do. So I let him do it. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Now, and so I will say too, so I've definitely been a fan of Vigo from Lord of the Rings and some of the interesting things he's done since then. You know, he's a very, very talented actor who probably doesn't work enough, but I think it's because he's very selective about the jobs he takes. Colin Farrell's one who's kind of done a lot of weird roles and maybe our action movies. And so someone that, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think Colin Farrell's underrated there. And I, and I, and I don't think I realized that until this, I really liked him in this more like toned down, just every man role versus when he does kind of yeah. like these bigger roles. I don't think he's necessarily great at or makes, or doesn't get cast well. And just, I mean, like in Bruges is fun, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, we, I think it's, he's better just as an every, everyday guy. And he, he was really good in this mm. in a very subdued performance which I liked having seen him in a lot of like bigger performances in the past. Yeah, he, he does do a lot of weird stuff. He was in um, Lobster is a pretty weird Colin Farrell performance. Oh, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's really good in Horrible Bosses, where he's like kind of like a middle-aged, like overweight, balding guy. Okay. Who's just a complete dickhead to everybody. That's that's one of actually his funnier roles. Like that and In Bruges, I think, are really funny. But yeah, no, I, I I really like Colin Farrell. I think I think he's underrated, like as an actually skilled actor. Because you're right, like especially earlier in his career, he was in just a lot of like action movies where he's not really, you know, his acting chops are not really tested very much. But oh, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the killing of a sacred deer, which I actually really like. It's like a kind of a psychological thriller horror movie that you would not like, but. Was it also Yorgos Lanthimos? It is. Yeah, it is. Okay, okay. Yep. Yeah, I I, mean, I dug the favorite, but his other stuff is just kind of too weird. And it, The Lobster is what I'll recommend to certain people, but I'll even recommend it with the caveat that I didn't really like it, but it's different. So if you like different, <laughs> watch The Lobster. Yeah, it's weird. Okay, yeah. I think we covered everything we wanted to cover. We hadn't actually done anything for our world history timeline in quite a while with uh, talking about the crown, the Vikings, and getting into American history, uh, which we're recording. I guess at the time of this comes out, we won't yet have started our American history thing. But yeah, it's been a while since we've done world history. Wanted to throw something else out there. This is now our most recent movie on the timeline. Yes. I mean, it probably will be for a while until they come out with, you know, like... COVID movies or coronavirus movie or yeah yeah something something else that we that we have to do but anyway yes thanks for listening and we'll catch you later